Welcome to another episode of Mastermind Discussions. I'm your host, Matthew LaCroix. And today, on episode number five, I'm joined by ancient history researcher and author, Billy Carson, to discuss this struggle of darkness versus light here, forbidden texts in ancient civilizations. Billy, how are you, my friend? I am fantastic, and I'm really happy and excited to be back on here with you. I mean, when we get together, man, a lot of amazing things happen, and people's minds get expanded. I couldn't agree more. So, Billy, it's been about four months since you and I did a show last. So why don't you update everybody on what you've been up to and some of the new projects you've been working on? Yeah, it's been an incredible four months. Um, now, ahead of the coronavirus, <laughs> you know, just being able to be conscious and aware and discerning what, where you are in this world and what things could happen. Before the coronavirus, I started realizing what would happen happened to me if I couldn't take trips, if I couldn't fly on 20 flights a month to all these destinations and do all these interviews and all these lectures and conferences, what would I do if I was hiking somewhere in the woods and, and broke an ankle or, you know, or, or something crazy and I couldn't, go, I couldn't go to work? And I said to myself, I need to start a network where I, at least I can continue to put out great content, great information, but I can do it from my own studio. So I built my own studio in my house and began to develop Forbidden Knowledge TV, which uh, is live now. And in hindsight, wow, what a great way to get a download from the universe and, and take heed to the messages and information coming in and not just going, ah, whatever, and actually utilizing it and actually putting energy and effort behind it to create this new network. So the new network, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv, with the number four, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv, is live now. And it's got hundreds of episodes on there of great original content. And I'm looking forward to building it and acquiring new content every single day from a lot of other great, great people in various different topics, everything from ancient history, advanced technology, sciences, yoga, meditation, workouts, uh, conscious eating, you name it, the gambit of, of it all. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, and it launched right around the time that America started shutting down all the, you know, the hotels and, and everything else. And all my events were getting canceled. So now it's given me a lot of time to just sit here and make a lot of great content for the people and still get it out to the world just in a different way. Yeah, I mean, we can't just stop researching the secrets of ancient history just because things are a little bit difficult on the outside world with what's yeah. going on. And Billy and I are going to talk about that just briefly because I know some people are curious about our thoughts on COVID-19. Um, but Billy, uh, it's really an honor to talk to you again. I always love our deep dive discussions. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. So thank you so much for joining me on this show. So today's topics um, are going to focus around uh, ancient civilizations, forbidden texts, but also this struggle here of darkness versus, versus light and the nature of reality. And when, we're, when you look at this, these zodiac ages in the time frame, this time period that we're in, moving towards the age of Aquarius, it, it, this is almost textbook. To me, if, if you look at all the past predictions and everything that was talked about from Thoth all the way to Albert Pike and everyone in between about these predictions and prophecies of what was supposed to happen in our future as we transition to this new time, in one of those has been this cons consistent idea of a global pandemic. And so uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on COVID-19 briefly and um, the implications for, for, for what it has on our society. Yeah. You know, this thing is really kind of taking the world by storm, obviously. Uh, what I would like to tell people before I even start talking about it is 
you have to remain calm because when you are not calm and you're letting your physiology control your decision making, you can make a lot of mistakes and you can cause yourself even more harm. I think that remaining calm is the key thing to do in a situation like this because then you're able to make logical decisions, things that can really affect you in a positive way versus a negative way with, with uh, as we've seen probably with a lot of social media videos and a lot of things on the news when people panic, it just becomes really hectic and crazy uh, and people start doing things that they normally wouldn't do. That's because they're operating from a consciousness of fear versus logic. Uh, so we have to keep, remain calm. But uh, looking at this, this COVID-19, this coronavirus situation, I found a couple of very strange things to me. Uh, first of all, back in November of 2019, uh, I, I played the stock market pretty much almost every day. I, use, I play stock options, so I, I bet on stock options. So I do calls for the, for the market to go up and do puts for the market to go down. If it goes down on a put, I make money. If it goes up when I make a call, I make money as well. Well, so I followed this guy named Ray Dalio. He's a multi-billionaire. He runs a $150 billion hedge fund, and all the elites have their money in this fund. He took $1.5 billion, November of 2019. He took $1.5 billion and put it on the stock market to crash in March of 2020, which is where we are now. Now, when this happened, everybody went crazy back last year. We were like, what does this guy know? Like, I was posting links to the articles about this and everything else. Like, what does this guy know? What does he know? And everybody was going on mainstream news. Like, what does this guy know? And everybody forgot about it. I didn't forget about it. So come the middle of February, I started pulling back on my trading because I was like, let me see what's happening here. All of a sudden, I started hearing coronavirus, China, this, that. Next thing you know, March hits. And what happens to the market? The low, low of lows. They probably, probably made about $100 billion on that crash. So in hindsight, it's like, hmm, this is really interesting because the only thing that crashed the market was the coronavirus going global. They lost containment of this thing. And um, there had to be some foreknowledge, maybe not specifically of COVID-19, but there had to be foreknowledge, in my opinion, of some global pending pandemic that was going to make global markets go down and crash for them to put $1.5 on that for it to go down. Isn't it interesting that, like you said, the stock, stock markets, markets reached this incredible high, right? Like beyond mm -hmm. anything we've ever seen. Everything <laughs> was all in place. And then yeah. this event happens. And mm -hmm. the strange thing to me was that it seems to be like this. If, if you look at it from a higher level, and I, and I don't mean to um, tamper the significance of this for people that are sick or worried about yeah. what's going on. But remember, we're talking about more of a higher level. This is a mastermind discussion looking at this from, well, how was it, how is this viewed from elites and, and higher ups and some of these global controllers? Well, it was interesting to me that the number one competitor of the United States for, for a long time has been China. It's like the two empires are battling back and forth over who's going to be dominant. And then mm -hmm. lo and behold, this thing starts there. And then it's, it's basically connected to China and tanks their entire economy and everything else. Yeah. And then at the same time, the health minister of Iran and a couple of these other important figures, they just get it out of nowhere and then mm -hmm. they die and all these things keep connecting. And now yeah. the Chinese are coming out and Iran and saying, well, you're pinning this on you know, places like China, but is this something that is a, is a biologically created 
virus because they're yeah. pointing out that there were these military global military games games in Wuhan and and there's my and that was potentially a few months before this outbreak occurred so what is your take on that is this something that's been planned yeah. this is something that definitely in my opinion and I can't say for sure but in my personal opinion I think it's planned I think it's an attack now when you look at what happened there at Harvard University just a few short months ago the professor there, I think his name was Lieberman, if I'm correct, or something to that effect. But the professor at Harvard was working on bioengineered viral nanobots. And he got busted by the feds. I think he was just really the scapegoat or the fall guy, unfortunately for him. He took $300,000 and he took 50000 a week. And he was working with two Chinese espionage agents posing as students at Harvard. And they were taking this this technology, this research technology out of Harvard and taking it straight to where? Wuhan. Isn't that something? <laughs> and where does the first cases pop up? Right outside the laboratory area of Wuhan. So this was orchestrated by somebody who had the big bucks and paid this guy off. And he didn't even know he was gonna be a fall guy. He ends up being the fall guy for the whole thing. This is a high, high level. This is a real high level situation. And like you said, who, who would want to take China back 20 or 30 years, two or three decades? We would. America would. Why? They were buying everything. They were literally taking a note out of the Rothschild's book. They were lending countries money, and when the countries couldn't pay them back on the high interest, they would take over parts of their government, parts of their land, you know, resources. They were buying up. They, they owned the Nassau Bahamas. They owned most of Jamaica. I mean, they're, they're, they're buying everything. And, of course, 90% of all goods coming from China. So they were ready and primed for global domination. And I think the powers that be, you remember what happened to um, the guy over there in Libya when he was getting ready to make some big changes in the Gaddafi. world. Gaddafi. They said, you know what? Uh, I think Hillary Clinton said, we came, we saw, and he died. That was her exact words. Uh, so this is a situation where I think high, high level, maybe even higher than the United States government level, said, Most you know likely. what? Um, we need to slow them down a little bit. And I think somebody made that ultimate decision and put the orders out. And of course, we're, we're, you know, we're really good at taking orders over here. We've proven that now with global domination. And I think that this is a bio attack against China to set them back. And China now realizes it and has now even vowed revenge. Uh, they realize it. And you know, this is going to take a while to play out. In other words, this is going to get cleaned up in terms of the, vir the virus. But we'll have to look over our shoulders for decades now because you never know when it's gonna come back at us. The karma is definitely gonna come back. Now, I just wanna get your take on this. Is, with a lot of these types of events that we see, whether or not it's 9-11 or you mentioned um, Gaddafi and all these, you know, the Iraq wars and all the things that mm -hmm. happen, there seems to be a multitude of agenda items. Yeah. It's not just about oil or it's not just yeah. about gold. <laughs> it's about a, a multitude of different things. Mm -hmm. So is there a higher agenda here than just being an, an empire fighting against another empire. Is this part of some kind of a higher agenda yeah. towards looking to the future here? Well, there's a huge checklist here. So if I'm thinking as a global dominating force that wants to uh, be a hegemonic force to take over and dominate this planet and maybe even the solar system, I'm not planning for tomorrow. So in other words, I'm not making a plan of a one thing that I'm gonna do when I get my paycheck on Friday. I'm making a whole bucket list of things that I could do with this one action, this one swift action. What, let me get a sheet of paper and put a line. What are the positives? What are the negatives? Negatives are going to be uh, debts. Okay, well, that's you know, collateral damage. 
What are the positives? The positives are going to be the economies are going to crash globally. Okay, we can make a lot of money on that because we can do options and we can bet for them to crash. Okay, what are the other positives for us? Well, uh, China's producing 90% of the world's goods. We can now transfer a lot of that to India and other countries and we can monopolize that and we can make money off the exchange, off the shifting of the creation of these goods and services and move some even into America and we can be on the boards of some of these companies that are now getting these new contracts for all this bulk surplus that we need to be created. What's another positive to this? Oh, wow, now we've already got the cure. We've been sitting on it. Now we're going to make trillions of dollars on a vaccine that's going to be mandatory. And by the way, in that vaccine, if we want to, we can put nanobot tracking devices and other experimental exactly. stuff inside of them uh, to get, you know, and we can, we can know everything about a person's physiology. We can know about their genetics and cancer rates and whatever we want to make more pharmaceuticals than everything else. And we can move a lot of pharmaceuticals out of China where they were producing 90% of pharmaceuticals in China. We can now take over that and move it now because we've been forced to. Before we couldn't just say, oh, we're not going to do it anymore because that would, that would cause a big situation. But now because of this, we have to take them out of there and produce these pharmaceuticals elsewhere. And oh, by the way, we'll be on the board of directors for those companies as well. And we'll also invest in stock in those companies because those stocks are going to rise significantly. So there's a huge checklist of things that can happen <laughs> when you're in a global elitist running and dominating. Now, do you have, just to, I guess, conclude on this um, after your thoughts on this, but do you think that this has anything to do with the timing of this Zodiac change going into Aquarius? And, the, and basically the, what I mean by that is, you, you and I both know that mm -hmm. when you look at the ancient times, it was always about this balance of power. One time would be ruled, and this is going to lead into what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, one age, and those ages are 2,100 years roughly. One age will be ruled by darkness and, and, and a lot of um, death and a lot of terrible chaos. And then because of that, you have to then balance the other age to, to be the opposite. And that's, that's how balance always works. And so are we... Is this a signal that this is some kind of an action that's being done time to at the end of this age when they don't, when some of these global powers are losing control of potentially, you know, consciousness is rising all the time. People are waking up to a lot of this stuff around the world. Some of them are going back to sleep, but a mm -hmm. lot of them are waking up. So is, is this a timing thing also? It's a timing thing. This is like, you know, um, you know, this is like their last temper tantrum, you know, one of their last temper tantrums. I mean, their time and their era is running out and they know that um, it's everything operates in cycles. It's a cycle thing. It's cyclical, just like Thoth talks about in the Emerald Tablets and many others have talked about in ancient texts and the Kali Yugas and everything else. And they know, for example, I mean, even when Amun-Ra wanted to take over kingship early ahead of his processional time period, he caused a war just to do that. So they, they're well aware of the time periods and the change of the equinoxes and that the age of Aquarius coming in in 2025, they're well aware of it. And these are like, you know, their final temper tantrums just to grab as much as they can, dominate as much as they can. I think there's a big shift and change coming on this planet and it's not gonna el completely eliminate the elites immediately by 2025. However, there's gonna start to be a decline as we go around this wheel, this cycle, that, that power that they've been holding on to so, so long it's going to start to be reduced. And as that happens, they're going to look to run off into the sunset with their, you know, with their golden parachutes and, and take care of their next generation after generation financially. So there's going to be a lot of crazy things going on going into 2025 that's going to be like, why is this happening? So if, because we're co-creators here consciously across the world, right? And 
the idea if you if you really understand ancient texts and how they portray our reality and how we contribute to it is this and this is the last thing i want to bring up on this before we move on but is this basically a way to create a certain environment that forces most of society to accept our, our, the new reality coming up that will be dominated by fear and control and all these different mechanisms in place is it a way to coerce society to be the co-creators of another dark time period yeah you know what they're experts at is they're experts at creating emotions that generate low frequency vibrations and they literally take an energy exchange off of those low frequencies so they capitalize off of our low frequency vibrations so it's in a, in a way they're like archons from the nakamadi they actually eat these frequencies and people say what do you mean they eat them well if i get you in a low frequency vibration a state of fear and turmoil now I can pull the strings and make you do whatever I want you to do. And those things that you do, will make, when I pull those strings, will generate profits for me. So I'm eating because money is an energy exchange. So when you're in a low frequency vibration and I pull a string and I make you do something and it profits me, I'm eating the energy. So they are literally uh, utilizing these low frequency vibrations not only to create profits for themselves now, but also these these, these uh, time periods where these crazy, like this, this COVID-19 is such a big wake or ripple in space-time, it's being imprinted into everyone's um, DNA. It's being imprinted, imprinted into everyone's uh, epigenetic memories. And so what's happening now is I have a kid, right? And that kid now is going to have the memories of this situation, this, 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 this ripple in space-time. It's going to haunt isn't it? Right. And so now they can carry that into the next era. So they can actually reduce the effect of the change of the precession of the equinoxes into, into uh, Aquarius. They can reduce the initial impact it normally would have if they can get things like this into people's epigenetic memories and still wreak a little bit of havoc on our way into that change. Okay, so building off of that, I know I said I didn't want to talk about this anymore, but this is, yeah. this is fascinating because it, it, it's not even really about COVID-19 anymore. It's more about creating a fear-based reality, right? So if... When, when, an, when a conscious, sentient human being exists in a state of fear, it, when they're in their root shock or their lowest state of conscious vibrational frequency energy, that they become controllable, right? Mm -hmm. Because once you raise your vibrational frequency, one of the things you do is you connect to a higher state of consciousness and you break out of this system where you just do things essentially almost like, like following the herd of everyone that's around you and you start mm -hmm. taking control of your own conscious reality. You start yeah. projecting your energy and changing everything around you. So is this a way to, and then we're going to lead into to an ancient text mm -hmm. in a second, but is this a way to essentially strip people of that ability to co-create their own reality? Yeah, because what happens is when people are in a, a mode consciously of fear, turmoil, anguish, uh, what happens in anger, is they then, because they want to get out of it and they don't know, they don't think that they know the way to get out of it. They think the way to get out of the situation is by relinquishing their power to another exactly. entity. Exactly. So when you relinquish the power from yourself to another entity, all of a sudden what happens is you've now given away your power to manifest and create your own reality. You've given it away to someone else or another thing or another entity. And what you've done is you've really continued to put yourself in this same time loop yeah. of turmoil you can't you can't have an appreciable effect on your reality tunnel because you've given away your right to operate on yourself and so what people have to understand is 
when these things go on, when these things, these things happen, you have to look internally to yourself, understand the power that's in you, understand that the divine energy that created this whole universe is inside of your body. Yes, there is yin and yang, good and bad, you know, so you're going to have light and dark. You're going to have that. However, you have to understand that the light is inside of you. And because of that, you do have a certain amount of power and control. Don't relinquish your power. Command your reality. Command your manifestations. Believe in yourself. Believe in others that are working along with you in your inner circle. And you guys come together and that energy force will become bigger and stronger. Yeah. And, you know, look to inner space because when you seek external salvation from another source or another entity or another government, you're always giving away all your energy and power and you're not going to get anything back for that energy. They're going to eat it and utilize it for their own agenda. You have to utilize your energy for yourself. If you're on an airplane, the first thing they tell you when you get on the airplane before they take off is if there's a disaster or a situation that occurs and oxygen masks drop down, they say, put the mask on first. Make sure you're okay. Then you can help other people. And in a situation like this, we have to realize, wow, I've got to go inside. I've got to figure out, okay, what can I do to correct my problem or make my situation a little bit better? How can I prepare for the next one? Then once you get that game plan down, Pat, like me and you are doing, now we can go and share this information with other people and hopefully get them to understand how they can free themselves, how they can be the president of their own lives and not relinquish their power to some outside source. Well said, Billy. So it seems like really the conclusion behind this whole thing is on a higher level, it's all about fear and creating this darkness here to relinquish people of their conscious co-creative abilities and their, and their ability to reach, reach higher states of consciousness. So what this is really about, is it, it, and it goes back, like you said, it's a cyclical thing. It goes back all the way to at least the time of Atlantis. And it's this idea of how mankind here in this physical third reality, because we're the conscious co-creators of our reality, we are basically this stage of where darkness battles light. This is yeah. where these two sides, the yin and yang within us, it's a, it's a battle to have us basically be controlled by one of those two types of energy. And as we know, and the reason we're doing all of this is that our reality has been controlled by, from a very long time through darkness and fear yeah. and control. And so what we're going to transition to do now, Billy, is we're going to discuss that on a deeper level and go all the way back to the very beginning to really talk about how this struggle of darkness versus light within mankind has been fought over for so long. And to do that, we're going to be reading Emerald Tablet number four, which is called The, the Key of Magic. And I know you're, you're very familiar with that. And so what Billy and I are going to do is do a dual reading through The Key of Magic, Emerald Tablet number four, and then we're going to we're going to discuss it and then we're going to move into um, talking about Atlantis a little bit. So to start Emerald tablet number four, long ago in the days of the first man, warfare began between darkness and light. Men then as now were filled with both darkness and light. And while in some darkness held sway and other light filled the soul. Age old in this warfare, the eternal struggle between darkness and light, Fiercely it fought all through the ages, using strange powers hidden to man. Adepts has there been filled with the blackness, struggling always against the light. But others there are who, filled with brightness, have ever conquered the darkness of night. Where ye be in all ages and plain, surely you know the battle within night. Long ages ago, the sons of the morning descending found the world filled with night. 
There in the past began the struggle, the age-old battle, darkness and light. Many in the time were so filled with darkness that they only feebly flamed the light from the night. Some they were, masters of darkness, who sought to fill all with their darkness, sought to draw others into their night. Fiercely withstood they, the masters of brightness. Fiercely fought they from the darkness of night, sought ever to tighten the fetters, the chains that bind men to the darkness of night. Used they always the dark magic, brought into men by the power of darkness, magic that enshrouded man's soul with darkness. Banded together in this order, brothers of darkness, they through the ages, antagonists, they to the children of men, walk they always secret and hidden, found, yet not found by the children of men. Forever they walked and worked in darkness, hiding from the light in the darkness of night, silently, secretly used their power, enslaving and binding the soul of men. Unseen they come and unseen they go. Man in his ignorance calls them from below. Darkness is the way of the dark brothers travel. Dark of the darkness, not of the night. Traveling, O earth, they walk through man's dreams. Power they have gained from the darkness around them to call other dwellers from out of their plane in ways that are dark and unseen by man. Into man's mind, space reached the dark brothers. Around it, they closed the veil over their night. There through its lifetime, that soul dwells in bondage, bound by the fetters of veil of night. Mighty are they in the forbidden knowledge, forbidden because it is one with the night. Hark ye, old man, and listen to my warning. Be free from the bondage of night. Surrender not your soul to the brothers of darkness. Keep thy face ever turned towards the light. Know ye not, O man, that your sorrow only has come through the veil of the night. Heed ye my warning. Strive ever upward. Turn your soul towards the light. The brothers of darkness seek for their brothers, those who travel the pathway of light. For well they know who has traveled far towards the sun in their pathway of light. List ye, O man, he who comes to you, but weigh in the balance of his words be of light. For many there are who walk in dark brightness and yet are not the children of light. Easy it is to follow their pathway, easy to follow the path that they lead. But yet, O oh man, heed my warning. Light comes only to him who strives. Hard is the pathway that leads to the wisdom. Hard is the pathway that leads to light. Many shall find the stones in your pathway, many mountains to climb towards the light. Yet know ye, O man, to him that O cometh, free will he be of the pathway of light. For ye know, O man, in the end, light must conquer, and darkness and night be banished from light. Listen, O man, and heed ye this wisdom. Ever as darkness, so is the light. When darkness is banished and all veils are rendered, out there shall flash from the darkness the light. Even as existing among men, the dark brothers, so there exist the brothers of light, antagonists they of the brothers of darkness, seeking to free men from the night. Powers have they, mighty and potent, knowing the law, the planets obey. Work they ever in harmony and order, freeing the man's soul from its bondage of night. Secret and hidden walk they also. Know not are they to the children of men. Ever have they fought the dark brothers, conquered in conquering time without end. Yet always light shall in the end be master, driving away the darkness of night. 
Only be wisdom can thou hope to be free. Knowledge brings wisdom, and wisdom is power. Attain, and ye shall have the power over all. Man. Billy, that is amazing. Because, yeah. And I want to give my take on it, and then I want you to expand on it. Mm-hmm. But basically, this struggle has gone back from the very beginning. But it's not just this human archetype within us where we're internally battling this darkness and light within us. It's what it discusses is that there are brothers of darkness and brothers of light, these Mm -hmm. entities that seem to feed off of our reality and control us in certain ways. And we're almost used like pawns to allow a certain kind of reality to manifest. And so when you you read that, what are some of the takeaways that you have, Billy? Listen, this is so deep because, um, I mean, anybody who reads this, first of all, if you really understand what it's saying, which hopefully we can enlighten some people to this, it can get you emotional because it's really getting you to understand that there is truly a force above us of people that are very, very high level. And I do mean people. I don't mean etherical people. They may be taking orders from somewhere above in that realm, but I think that there's people that are here that are human beings. And I think that there's people also that are here that are um, programs in a matrix. They look like a human being, they talk like a human being, they walk like a human being, they have a consciousness of a human being. However, they're plugged into something else and they're taking orders from another source or they're getting this yang side of the source information. These dark brothers, they don't wanna see the world in a way where everybody's prospering, enjoying and loving, and having a great time and enjoying life. And there could be free and abundance for all. There's enough here for everybody to be abundant and everybody to have a phenomenal life and everybody to travel the world and the stars and everything else. They like the dark look. They like the, you know, the, 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 you see it in cartoons or some shows where the, you know, the evil comes and everything turns dark and the clouds come. They like that look. That's the look that they see in their consciousness. They want to be able to dominate over what they call, they think that human beings may be a little bit lesser than them. They think that we're a little bit lower than them and they feel that they have the right to dominate over us and rule over us. And they, they're like archons. They actually control our emotional states by making things happen. Uh, and then when those things happen, they take those emotional states and take the energy from them and utilize those energies to, the, for, to power their own agendas. Because every single thought that we think creates a electromagnetic wave. And that electromagnetic wave comes out through the skull. This can be done in any laboratory. You go to a laboratory, you put in a cap on with electrodes in it, connected to a computer, and they tell you to think. When you think, it lights up the computer screen. They know exactly what you're doing. If you're looking left, right, thinking up, if you're happy, sad, whatever, they know. Those electromagnetic waves that come out of your skull, they travel in space-time eternally forever. Okay? That's why the Book of Life is real. That's why the Akashic Records is real, because every thought that you think, thunk, is in space-time. It exists. Now, these entities understand that this electromagnetic frequency coming out of billions of humans' minds, depending on the, the, the uh, vibration of that frequency, the hertz, it has power that they can turn into energy for other things. This is the realm above realms. This is how they dominate a planet, how you dominate a race of people on an entire planet, how you own a planet, just like in Jupiter ascending, how people own solar systems because they can control the emotional responses and thoughts, and those thoughts and responses create frequencies, and those frequencies are then converted into energy exchanges, whether it be capital energy exchange, labor energy exchanges, whatever, bidding through wars, whatever it is, those energy exchanges create their agenda and create the reality that they want us to see. 
If you look back at the Sumerians about 6,000 years ago, they created the first bicameral Congress. They had a whole different type of structure on how they had their hierarchy, but they gave us the, they gave us politics. <laughs> so they create our reality and we've got to now realize that these dark brothers, they're real. This, but the light, the brothers of light are also real. And because the light is in us, we are the brothers of light. We have the capability of seeking the light. Mankind's uh, birthright is to seek the light, is to seek the unconditional love. We're born is to of seek the light. Things. Exactly, you know? And I think that once we consciously realize separation is an illusion, races are an illusion, all the things that they've used to divide and conquer us, we've got to now say, no, come back together. We need to join up. And we need to do one thing to stop playing the Dark Brothers game. We need to say no. No, we're not going to play your game anymore. Very well That's said, it. Billy. So let's set the stage here for just talking about this a little bit longer. If you read ancient cuneiform tablets, one mm. of the things that's echoed across so many different ones, whether it's Atrahasis all the way to the myth of Adapa or everything in between, is that we as Homo sapiens sapiens, we are essentially like these creator gods that were genetically designed here out mm. of this image of what the Sumerians call the Anunnaki, these superior beings that supposedly if you know if you look back into records you know they they went through and found some more primitive devonisovian neanderthal mm -hmm. and they used that as this base model and then and then they basically took their essence and their genetics and their gifts and put it into us to create a basically a worker that could toil in this physical reality so that they didn't have to anymore and they mm -hmm. could basically conquer this reality and then and then use this as like a stage to feed off of everyone's emotions and control individuals a certain way now what i'm going getting at there is that it doesn't seem fair right that some higher superior beings as they're called could just control us however they want but i think the trick there is that the law that's been designed in in everything in this multiverse is that sentient beings have free will we have the ability to decide what we want to and so therefore we can be controlled through coercive means. It's allowed through free will if we accept right. those coercive means. So mm -hmm. when chaos is created in our realm, in this physical reality, it's then manifested through us by accepting that chaos in a fear-based way. And mm -hmm. so if, if we go down that path of following fear and being controlled through our lowest state, then we basically, like, I, like we mentioned before, we give up our ability to be co-creators and we go along with this designated narrative. And that yeah. narrative has been, has been perpetuated and controlled for thousands of years. As you, we, we read in, this, in tablet number four, this battle of darkness and light and brothers of light and brothers of darkness has been going on since the very beginning here. Mm -hmm. So how do we break out of this cycle, Billy? You have yeah. some some good solutions that we can all use yeah. to, instead of, of following these dark brothers into this, this future of darkness, mm -hmm. how do we break out of this cycle as we're entering Aquarius and truly bring back this lost golden age that we've been seeking all along? Yeah, we're in the cusp of, you know, moving up that silver, that Tetra Yuga, I believe that. I really believe we're in the Tetra Yuga, moving up towards that golden age. At the very bottom of the, of the tetra, though, we've got to go up around that curve. To do that is going to take something that's got to bind all human beings together. We have to, and I said it before, but I can't say it enough. We have to get rid of this separation. 
we have to have unconditional love for one another uh, and, and even ourselves. For example, you'll see that a lot of African-Americans in their small communities, because of uh, different type of economic uh, uh, oppression and, uh, and even going back into the other times of slavery, inside yeah. of our epigenetic memories, we were taught to hate each other and fight each other and be competitive with each other. And you see that now still playing out in Chicago and other areas where we're just killing each other, left and right, each other. So we're not even loving, not forget loving ourselves, we're not even loving each other. And then how, if you can't love your own self, how can you even love somebody in another race at all? So we've got to expand beyond, we've got to get out of the, we've got, so we have to start with the answer to your question, we have to start reprogramming ourselves. Everyone on this planet, as we raise our consciousness, has to start reprogramming our DNA. That's the only way to shorten, because epigenetic memories can last up to 15 to 20 generations. How do we shorten that time span? Positive affirmations, self-love, unconditional love for others, meditation, the appropriate types of prayer, knowing actually how to pray, not just saying you're relinquishing your power to another entity and saying, please help me, but actually knowing how to command force from your own inner divine self. Uh, you know, eating energetic foods, uh, blessing people, and all these types of things. That's how you move into a way of understanding the truth, power, and divinity in yourself. Saying the positive affirmations for 21 days will begin to reprogram your DNA. This is done in laboratories. This isn't even like I'm just making up metaphysical content. This is real laboratory peer-reviewed science that they've tested this on people. And they've said, wow, by just changing the way you think will change your reality. And because of that, if you start with yourself, it will expand to others. It will become a new kind of virus, okay? It will become a conscious virus, and that will take over the planet. That's the kind of virus mm -hmm. I want. That's the kind of virus I want, man. And when, that, and when that happens, that could be 100 years, 200 years from now. We're planting the seeds now for it to happen. When that happens, people are going to stop playing the game of the elites. One day, on a Monday morning, instead of going to work, 100 million people are going to say, no, we're not going in. 100 million people are going to say, no, we're not paying taxes. 100 million people are going to say, no, we're not paying mortgages. We're not paying car payments. We're not paying student loans. And they're going to just say, no, we're going to, you know what? Give us all of the money in this fake banking system. And, you know, it's not even available. So that will collapse the bank. One day, everything is going to come to a halt. And they're going to say, you need to negotiate with us. We have the power. The people have the power. The power will be transferred back to the people. There'll be a new economic system that will come out of this. The elites will be ousted. And it will probably go into, initially, I think, an anarchistic type of uh, society where everybody's their own boss and type of, you know, an entrepreneur in a way. And even police will be kind of maybe even um, their own individual security teams or whatever. But eventually, we might migrate into a society where, a futuristic society where your, your, your level in society is based on how good you are at what you do and how you help contributions, others. Contributions, right? Exactly. Contributions. What can you do in service to others? And how good are you at what you do? These types of things will, ju will justify how high your level of in, uh, in society. And potentially, in the golden age, money will be a thing of the past. It won't even exist at that point. Yeah, because when you look back to the very beginning, money was something that used to be based on the value of a needed commodity, right? So if you look into the ancient Sumerians, the first money that we can trace back to a shekel was considered a form of currency that was based on the value of a bushel of wheat. Because mm -hmm. back then, 
the importance of agriculture was even more significant than now there. Everything was based on that. Now it's based on this fiat, you know, invisible currency that traders are throwing numbers at in, 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 in computer systems that really isn't necessarily based on anything tangible. And that's why capitalism to me has gotten so out of control that it is money and greed and blown out of proportion to the point where we've basically turned our world into a dumping ground of not caring about balance at all and becoming completely disconnected from not only our planet, but from this vast cosmos we live in, where people live in like this complete illusion of reality where they, they don't look up at the stars anymore in most cases. They just walk blindly between buildings and just walking around doing what they're told and they and they exist as a almost like a non-conscious being it's like they because our identity has been defined through darwinistic historical backgrounds of just being an evolved ape right that's it you're just an evolved ape and we're we're here in our survival of the fittest mentality and that all that matters is being the best and dominating over over one another and acquiring wealth and material goods when really none of those things matter to a lot of the ancient civilizations and i've mentioned this before but when you when you uncover a lot of ancient ruins that we know predate some of the more um current ones like when you go way back back to what we call the pre-diluvian sumerians go back to the atlanteans go back to these mm. global cultures that were connected and built these incredible megalithic structures with these massive temples their focus wasn't on money their focus was on acquiring higher knowledge of being connected to the stars and being these these sentient conscious beings that are part of society where they're all contributing in some way but we lost that we became controlled through money and the acquiring of goods and we and we've lost ourselves in this great lie of us just being an evolved ape and i and i know that religion still has a great power as well in terms of how people perceive themselves but even there in this corrupted version of religion we live in in most cases it's more or less you're a being that is of service to to other beings and that are not this prime creator so would you would you say that one of the first things we need to do is i guess truly redefine the human experience right yeah absolutely we have to redefine the human experience we have to redefine what's important to us uh if you look at ancient uh egypt when it was called chem the land of chem before it was called egypt they focused a lot on the arts and you know balance and yeah. cooking and and all these things you know they really um it was almost like a fairy tale. And because of this, they didn't really focus on armies, which is why they were overthrown. <laughs> but, you know, somebody said, wait a minute, these guys got no power. They have no, nothing to protect themselves. You know, and it's probably why Egypt was overthrown seven times in the ancient world. Uh, you know, so you have to really understand that we've got to get back to the basics. And those are the basics, man. Just learning how to literally smell the roses, gardening, planting, understanding how to create uh, you know, green friendly ecosystems that we can thrive in both uh, business wise, you know, and uh, economically and understand how we can merge together with nature and be in collusion with nature instead of going against nature. Right now, when you look at the way the world is at this particular moment, forget the coronavirus, just look at the way the world is. It's almost as if human beings are the virus on the planet. Yeah. We're going against everything natural on a consistent basis 
And not only are we attacking ourselves, we're also attacking the planet. People are so afraid that the planet's going to be is being destroyed. But to be quite honest with you, the planet will be always be all right because the planet knows how to reset itself. And when it does reset itself, we better not be on the surface. Let's say that much because it's done it several times in the past. I think that we've got to really focus in on what type of reality do we want to have as human beings on this planet? What are the most important things to being a human being, a conscious, sentient being that are not only going to help improve me, but also help improve the world as a whole and focus on those things and make that the new economy, make that the new way of living. And I think that this world will blossom and turn into a golden age, maybe even possibly even ahead of time, if that's the mindset that we move in, you know, we move in forward. Well said, Billy. It seems to just come down to us realizing that we are part of this multiverse in a way that we've been um, misled for so long into this conditioned mentality of how to view ourselves that we've given up our power in most cases and we're just al allowing this darkness to keep controlling us and create all these false flags and these chaotic wars and these events around the world that are like mm -hmm. this, this strategic chess game of placing us as like these pawns within a, a greater game to achieve something. And I think that no matter what happens, I, I, alt I really do feel to bring a positive spin into this. I really do feel that based on these really, really intelligent designs that are woven into the fabric of what makes up reality, we will ultimately change on a conscious level towards a higher conscious state because that's just the way that the energy moves in these cycles mm -hmm. and the way that these zodiac changes occur entering this age of Aquarius and like the Mayans knew all about how consciousness was all it was follow these steps you know Kuku Khan aka right. Thoth knew all about these cycles and that's why mm -hmm. you know the temple of Kuku Khan's temple and all the different levels represent these different levels of consciousness and the top represents universal consciousness right. and so I really do like to equate our consciousness, the simmering pot of water on a stove and how no matter what you do, if you keeping that lid down, eventually that water is going to reach such a boiling point that that lid is going to fly off. You can only keep that on for so long if, if that heat is increasing and in, in meaning heat as in an increase in vibration and increase in consciousness. Right. And we may be controlled by fear on the surface. And I think a lot of people look at what's going on. They say, what do you mean we're changing and getting more conscious? Look at all what the people are doing around us. But slowly, step by step, there are more people all the time discovering mm -hmm. this alternative historical facts and information on lost civilizations and energy and consciousness and the purpose of these pyramid structures all around the world and mm -hmm. all of these things that really bring us to a completely new definition of what the human experience is and what our past has been. And branching off of that, Billy, the last topic I want to bring up for us to discuss is I want to talk about Atlantis a little bit. And I want to talk about the Emerald Tablets of Thoth because I think those two things go together more than, than a lot of people might realize. And what I mean by that is I'm sure you've, you've had a, a large amount of comments of people saying, well, where's the proof that the Emerald Tablets of Thoth ever existed? And where's the proof that Atlantis ever existed? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things go together extremely closely. Not only because Thoth states that he came from Atlantis and then went to the land of Chem and brought these tablets with him, but let's look at what evidence we have that Atlantis existed, right? What if Plato never 
talk to some of these ancient individuals like Solomon and all these other individuals from Egypt who had this knowledge, what evidence would we even have that Atlantis is here? To me, there's a tiny, tiny little moment where if something like the Library of Alexandria or all these other in individual locations where this, this knowledge is hidden, when those things are destroyed or that information is brought somewhere else, all of a sudden it's like it never existed. And it's like there's nothing there to, to back up that it was ever real in the first place. And so that's what I want people to understand is, remember in, in what we just read in the Emerald Tablet number four, brothers of light and darkness battling over, over information and consciousness here for thousands of years. And, and one of those battles has revolved around the control of information and the mm -hmm. destruction of information in some cases. And so yeah. I think what we're doing here is we're taking these little pieces and we're putting them back together to try to understand our ancient past. And where I want to go with that, Billy, is some of the new information that's come out discusses Atlantis. And I just want to give a little background on what I'm, what I'm going to bring up and then I want to get your take on it. Okay. When we look, we really study what Plato said about Atlantis. And for those who don't know, Plato ended up having connections to individuals in Egypt where he found out about this tale of Atlantis through Egyptian knowledge, okay? That's very important to understand because that's where this evidence came from. What's important about that is that Egypt was this land of Chem where the Atlantis, Atlantean knowledge was brought to after it was destroyed. So it would make sense that that's where you would acquire. Now, according to Plato, Atlantis was a ringed city of circular landmasses two circular landmasses with an island in the center, okay? And those landmasses were connected through a network of canals and channels with, with ships would pass back and forth. And when you look at all these global civilizations around the world, how that would be a way that they would be all connected, it starts to make sense. Now, some of the new evidence that's come out that a lot of people have been talking about, and I wanted to bring it up and discuss it with you, is the idea that the Ayat the Sahara, the Richat structure, in Mauritania, Africa, Southwest Sahara, whether or not you think, and we can discuss it, if that is truly the remnants of Atlantis. Yeah, I was taking a look at it and really analyzing it because I've been, I've been all over the world, as you know. Um, you know, I, it just came from Akrotiri, Greece, uh, about six or seven months ago, because there's some remnants of Atlantis there as well. And everywhere that I've gone to these ancient sites, it always seems to be some remnants of Atlantis. I think the eye that you're talking about definitely appears to me to be like a main source, a main center area for the Atlantean civilization, uh, where it seemed like people would come from all over. Because just like you have a kingdom and you have the castle, right? And then outside the castle, you have people living. Those, those, those people those serfs, or whatever they call them, those, they're part of the same kingdom, even though they don't live in the castle, right? So it's interesting when I start analyzing this, that there could be these major city centers or these major capitals of the world at that time in the ancient world, and that could have been one of them. And now you have people that come in from all over the world from the rest of the Atlantean civilization, because I really do believe that Atlantis was a global civilization but that then you have, just like in my state, in your state, there's a capital as well. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's what we're looking at, potentially capitals of regions of the planet. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Thoth states that 
he came from the city of Kior on the island of Undal. Now, when you look at the depictions that Plato gave, which is the best we have from it, the ancient Egyptian knowledge of what Atlantis looked like, you have an island landmass in the center with two ringed landmasses around it with water in between, with, with land bridges that connect to it. Now, I like what you said about the idea that Atlantis isn't necessarily just a city, but it is a global um, connected culture, right? But just like a global connected culture, like you said, there's probably a capital. And what we think of as, as Atlantis, maybe like something like Washington, D.C. or something like Rome, right. this was like their capital center potentially of this entire global civilization. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the evidence behind showing that and I'm not completely on board with that theory, but I would like to discuss and, and, and show some of the evidence that supports it. Yeah. The ancient historian Herodotus created a famous map where down here in Mauritania, this eye of the Sahara area, he, on a map, it's, it's, it's mentioned as being Atlantis on one of the old ancient maps. And this rich at structure also shows the same type of central landmass. In fact, it's the exact same amount of circular landmasses with an island in the center. Now, if Thoth states that he came from the city of Kior on the island of Undal, it would make the most sense that this central island in the center of Atlantis was called Undal. And the, mm -hmm. the central city, instead of being called Atlantis, yeah. maybe this capital was actually called Kior. Um, mm -hmm. Now, do you have any, any thoughts or information on your knowledge about Atlantis to add to this to, you know, to, to look at, yeah. you know, whether or not this really is the, the remnants of what we think of as, yeah. as Atlantis? Well, you know, Her Herodotus, um, he predates Plato, so he's older than Plato, and, and uh, he was born in Turkey. But one of the things about Herodotus is he also made a very interesting claim about an Egyptian barge that they didn't discover was actually true and real till much, much later. So he directly had, he had direct connections or direct contact or knowledge directly from Egyptians or ancient Egyptians, obviously. Uh, so I would really take his, to me, his words carry a lot of weight because his source, and he verified it by, by making a statement about an Egyptian barge that nobody even knew existed until, you know, hundreds of years later. So I think I, I, his words have a lot of weight with me. And he obviously had gotten some inside information and talked with some people maybe directly connected with the source of this ancient world and these capitals and everything else. And I think you, you're on to something there with, you know, the Undal. You know, I really do believe that that's exactly what it means. And they probably didn't call it that because they're inside of it. So the, it would make more sense, you know, a Kior and Undal would be set up exactly as you said. And, um, you know, over time, over many millennia, things, the information changed a little bit, names change a little bit, depending on what language has gone from this language to that language until it all made it all the way to, to where we are right now. But to me, it really makes sense to, to, that it's that way. And um, I really do believe that if it's not this area, that even the ring city that Plato did describe, to me, is another one of these gigantic capitals, or were a gigantic capital of the planet. And it was the main area where probably even the most advanced technology and some of the biggest secrets existed. And everybody else on the outside were just part of the civilization. Yeah. So to give people a couple other pieces of information, 
Plato describes this city of Atlantis as existing somewhere southwest of the Pillars of Hercules. And we know that the Pillars of Hercules are the Straits of Gibraltar. Mm -hmm. Now, this would fit into that description somewhat well. Now, the couple, there are a couple of little problems. They may not necessarily be problems because they may actually point towards how old this really is. This rich at structure, this eye of the Sahara, is found somewhere around 1,500 feet above sea level. Now, if it was a, if it was a city that was connected to the ocean, and, and which is how it was described, it was, a, it was a, basically a maritime, like, maritime globally connected civilization, then when was there a shallow ocean in that part of the Sahara? And the answer to that would prove that it's so much older. And this, this story of human civilization from the pre-Diluvian um, Sumerians and the pre-Diluvian Inca and all these, these ancient civilizations that are part of this lost civilizations, that evidence on the fact that it's at 1,500 feet now, but where was it before? I mean, let's, let's consider for, the, for a moment, when you go off of ancient Egypt, we have city after city that's being discovered underwater that's yeah. sitting right off of, of, of Alexandria under, you know, more than 10, 20, 30 feet of seawater sitting on the bottom of the ocean. Well, obviously that civilization didn't build that city <laughs> under the ocean, right? Those cities were flooded when ocean levels raised. That's a little, that's proof behind how old they are. That mm -hmm. means that those cities were part of some of these pre-Diluvian civilizations because that's when we know geologically, when we look at ice core samples from Greenland, mm -hmm. that we had this disastrous event that occurred during the Younger Dryas, the last ice age, in which we know that ice caps all around the world melted and, and ocean levels rose up 400 feet. So mm -hmm. this, this connects all around the world to proving that we have an entire lost era of human civilizations that were essentially wiped out by devastating events. And one of those events, to connect to what we were talking about, may have represented some kind of a pole ship at the same time. It may not just have been essentially like a deluge from the ice caps melting, but based on solar outbursts and whatever occurred at that time period, we may have, we may have been looking at a global catastrophe that occurred. In, mm -hmm. in that case, that could be some reasoning for how some of these geological events could have raised and lowered different parts of the planet as these tectonic plates are shifting and we have all this chaos going around the yeah. world. So it, it really is amazing when you really start to wrap your head around that, that we may have a history that goes back potentially 200,000 years. We have, we have the history. You're right. It's 200,000 years. Um, Atlantis itself, in my opinion, uh, is part of a civilization that was destroyed via a pole shift, a pole shift of the crust of the earth. And the reason why I hypothesize this is because we found now in Antarctica massive pyramid structures. We found in Antarctica uh, remnants of ancient civilizations. And under that ice, who knows what else is there? There's 70 bases, 70 research bases in Antarctica representing every continent on the planet right now from 23 countries right now in right now in Antarctica every single day top secret you can't get access to it they're over there they're digging through all those ice cores going in those open areas researching these pyramids and um, I really do believe that the reason why you find uh, animals out there that when they when they're you know they take the ice off of them 
they have undigested food in their stomach. How, can, how in the world can an animal that died thousands of years ago have undigested food in its stomach and be frozen? The reason why is because that area of Antarctica was not there in that particular spot. It moved there. It was probably much closer to the equator. And due to a pole shift of the crust of the Earth, where the crust of the Earth are locked together, and it could be a gravitational shift, it could be solar, solar flares, it could be a coronal mass ejection, Various different things can cause this shift, these, uh, these uh, plates to fall apart. And when they do, massive pieces of land can move into a different position almost within just a matter of hours. And when that happens, not only do you get all the oceans of the world being shifted and moving and flooding across massive amounts of continents, but you also then get the flash freezing from the colder temperatures from the water on top, the cold weather, frozen ice, and now you have animals that now have been preserved now for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years with undigested food in their bellies because why they were moving in a very rapid pace. And I think that Antarctica was part of the Atlantean civilization and due to the pole shift, they, it moved to that position. And uh, this may be one of the biggest uh, clues to a global flood in ancient times. Yeah, and to bring a little bit also an additional information to what you were talking about, it's not that hard to wrap our heads around how we could get these climate disasters on our planet. Seems like there are these very specific mechanisms that have been woven into, I guess you could call it the fabric of what defines reality in terms of how um, electromagnetic bodies move and shift and how temperatures and climates alter. And what I mean by that is the way that our temperature on our planet is controlled is actually through not just through the sun but it's it's done through global currents like the gulf stream coming up from mm. south of florida where you are correct what what happens essentially is this system this cycle goes on and on and on and keeps going through the same process because what you have is the same thing i think that it's based on coronal mass ejections with the sun potentially part of a 12,000 year cycle now, the reason I say that is when we look at these ice core samples, we see that there's these situations where the climate is more or less steady, and then you get this unbelievable shift and drop mm. and rise. And I mean nothing like what we have now. Now is essentially a blip on the cosmic timeline. When you go back to the Younger Dryas, this disastrous event that seemed to wipe out a lot of these lost civilizations, what you, what you find is that those global currents likely shut down. And whenever you get global currents shutting down, you get a temperature and climate disaster. And how does that happen? Well, if you have a solar minimum that occurs, you get a massive ice buildup around the world. That's how it works. A solar yep. minimum creates a period of where ice increases around the entire northern and southern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Then when you get a solar change that goes to a maximum, the same thing happens. Yeah. You either not, and I don't just mean in terms of chaotic events like pole shifts and volcanoes going off and tidal waves, but I mean more in terms of looking at ice and, and the way that the oceans move. When that ice rapidly melts, you get this massive influx of fresh water. Now, yeah. fresh water is more dense than seawater, and so it sits on top of seawater. And what happens when you get that is you disrupt that delicate balance of salt salt water the certain amount of content you get of that salt and those currents boom shut right down and yep. then what happens you go back into an ice age and then over time as the salinity increases and the fresh water 
evaporates and then, and then snows and rains and creates glaciers, the oceans go back to being balanced and those currents re reestablish themselves around the yeah. world. And that seems to me to be what this part of what this obsession, I think, over Antarctica is. And mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with you that there's all kinds of secrecy in Antarctica. But I think one of the reasons why they're there and in the North Pole is that they know all about these events, these cycles, and they may be using some kind of technology or even at least just researching those areas to mm -hmm. prevent or try to alter these, this shift. Because what's happening right now? Our earth is incredibly warm. Yep. We're at the end of what's called a solar maximum. We're going towards a solar minimum. And, mm -hmm. and they know all about that. And that's, it's no coincidence in my mind that we have you know, climate changes drastically happening around the world, all kinds of increases of earthquakes around the globe and um, volcanoes. It's part of this cycle coming. But that's yep. not supposed to be a fear thing because, and I just want to... Um, conclude on this on this area billy by saying that all the ancient cultures talked about how even though some past civilizations were wiped out by these events all these events are not the same some are much more severe than others like for instance this younger dryest period we had 12 10 to 12,000 years ago we were in an ice age yeah. therefore when you melt all that ice and you get these dramatic changes it can cause horrible disasters Right now, we don't have an ice age. So there are a number of different factors that are playing in to just show you that this event and this changeover is not going to be as bad as some of these other ones that wiped out our civilization around the world. Mm -hmm. We are supposedly supposed to end up being this new global, golden age of civilization. I just want to get your take on that, and then I want to go into some closing thoughts. No, you're actually, you're so right. You described how ice ages come and go perfectly. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, my friend Greg Braden had done a lot of research on this as well uh, on the ice cores. And if you go into the ice cores, you can track every global warming cycle going back for 100,000 years with no problem. So the fact that we're having global warming right now is not because of cows passing gas and exhaust coming out of your cars. Okay. Now, have we added to, to, you know, the carbon monoxide? Yes, we have. Exactly. However, however, so I'm not taking away from it. But what I'm saying is this is a natural cycle. And not only is it a natural cycle, according to the ice cores, this isn't even the most hottest warming cycle. Nope. Okay. So we're right on target to where we actually should be. And uh, we should be focusing on things like how to become a more green society and uh and how to unconditionally love one another and those two things will take care of itself exactly it's like i think gaia this sophia feminine creative energy of our planet this mm -hmm. that is it's beyond just this lifeless rock is gaia gonna want this human civilization to continue here mm -hmm. or based on our actions of polluting destroying this world and and not realizing that we're stewards here is, is she going to decide to wipe us out and reset us so that we can start mm -hmm. over again? Those are complicated questions that we don't have all the answers for. But what yeah. we do know is that this time period is incredibly important. And what we talk about and what we do matters more than most of us realize. And that's why it starts with each of us realizing that we're co-creators of reality and that everything mm -hmm. that we do and everything we pass on, like you said, we pass these waves on into the infinite of our actions and our thoughts. They continue mm -hmm. way beyond just 
you know, our little, our little reality here. And so we're part of something much bigger than most of us realize. And we need to realize that power, just like Thove says in Emerald Tablet number four, we have great power here and we can either be ruled by darkness or we can either be ruled by light. Yeah, that's right. So Billy, go ahead and give me some, give me some closing thoughts and you know, you know, where people can find your work. I first like to say, man, first, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoy being on here with you, man. You're one of the greatest hosts and speakers that I know. Thank you, man. Uh, and it's, it's, we, we, we work well together, and it just really goes well. I think people like to see us talk because they get a lot out of what we have to say. <clears throat> and, and we kind of really, you know, mesh together very well. Um, I would like to just tell the people, you know, don't be ruled by fear. Some of the things that we talked about today might sound scary or horrific or world ending, but it's not really that. We're in a period of time now where we have the capability to make the changes needed. So what are, what's our mission? What is your mission today? Your mission is to do what people say to me. When people say to me, what do you do for a living? You know what I tell them? I tell them that I create ripples in the space-time continuum that alter future realities in the third dimension. I love it, Billy. That's yeah, great. You know, it, it's our job to literally create these these ripples consciously that are going to go out to the future and alter our future reality, not for just us, for prosperity. And this is our mission. This is our job. This is why we're on this show talking right now. It's all about altering the future. Everything that you think is a permanent thought that goes out into space time. That's why you should be thinking good thoughts about yourself and also of others, because that's going out there. It's out there. You can hold account for that information. It's part of the space time continuum at that point. Think positive. Think successful. Think how to help people. Think how to be of service to others. Think positive things about yourself. And all those things then, and, find, and do research and investigation in ways that at least that you can comprehend and help spread that information on to help keep the progression going, help keep the ripple going so that 100 years, 200 years, 300 years from now, this planet looks totally different. Because what the elites, what the Dark Brothers do, they don't plan for next week. What we do as, as citizens of the global world, we plan for next week. Oh, this is what I'm going to do next weekend. I'm going to get my paycheck and I'm going to do this and that. They're planning for 5,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years in advance. We have to start thinking the same way. We have to start taking responsibility for generations ahead of us and thinking that way, thinking futuristic. But to do that, we got to create the thoughts now that create the ripples in space time that alter future realities for this planet. And I think we'll see a phenomenal and beautiful planet in the future as we head into the golden age. And maybe this time we can sustain the golden age instead of falling back down again. That would be the ultimate goal. Very well said, Billy. And I want to tell you, it's an honor to have these discussions with you as well, my friend. You're one of my favorite people in the world. So thank you so much. And your you. words of wisdom are fantastic. I could not agree with them more. It's, it's amazing to realize that if, if you look at this higher level and you study all this stuff, how significant this moment is right now that we're in and that we should always remember, like you said, not about what we're doing just next weekend or what, but how are we going to be remembered in the future? What is your legacy going to be? What did you leave behind as a contribution to this reality as, as a co-creator here? Did, were you absent from that his, the historical records or in, in, in some way, did you make a positive contribution to help? And I think that that's what we should all remember here. And that's why I'm so honored to talk to individuals like you that understand that. So Billy, really quick, before I give out my closing yeah. thoughts, where can people find your work and what's the best way that they can track some of this, these amazing and exciting projects you're working on? 
Thank you. I think the best way right now, I did launch my new TV network called Forbidden Knowledge TV with the number four, four B-I-D-D-E-N, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Just a website. It'll be on apps very soon. It is in the Forbidden Knowledge mobile app, which is available on both app stores. But the Forbidden Knowledge TV, it's got great original content, a lot of content that people may, not, may, have, may have not seen before. And it also links to things like my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, uh, and uh, many other uh, things that I'm involved in. Of course, you want to see the stage of time, uh, you know, by my friend there, Matt LaCroix. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, so, and what's amazing is, just to stop real quick, when I go to Amazon and look at my book, your book is always kind of partnered with my book. So it's kind of cool, man. People really resonate with both of our work. We seem to be um, very close in terms of our conclusions and our research. And yeah, I, and I yeah. really, I think that's an honor because I, I highly respect all of the work that you've done. Oh, same here, man. Same here. So ForbiddenKnowledge.tv is here to stay. It's like a conscious Netflix. I'm looking forward to having more stuff on there from anything you've got and other people that are, I think are really important into this community and getting it up there so the world can get, it, get access to it. Thank you so much, Billy. Now, just to provide a couple quick updates before I close out here, um, coming up on Mastermind Discussions number six in April, we have Brian Forrester, the in my opinion, probably the most important megalithic researcher that exists right now on the entire planet. He goes around to ancient sites all around the world. I think he's been to more ancient sites than anyone I've ever heard of. And he points out the specific building styles that prove that these lost civilizations had technology that was later lost. And um, as well as something I'm very excited to release in the next week or two, I've been working on a mini documentary that's going to be between 15 and 20 minutes, but has a lot of really cool uh, video sequences and images and ancient records that goes all around the world looking at lost civilizations, lost information, um, forbidden text and things like that and tries to connect it all together. So look for that coming up. Um, and always, Billy, thank you so much for coming on today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and we're going to have to do it again soon, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, everyone.